0: All right, let's get into God's word here today, and uh, I want to begin by sharing with you uh, how the last 10 days have actually uh, been a pretty seismic shift in the Lagos household. We really have actually just undergone a pretty epic change. You see, just over a week ago, my oldest daughter just began first grade, and Elena is now six years old. She's the first of our children to reach that important milestone. And it's amazing how excited she was for the start of school. I mean, she could hardly sleep at night with anticipation. And every day was just a countdown for when school was going to start. She's like, five days till school starts, four days till school starts. So excited for it. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, oh, this attitude is going to change. This isn't going to last. Elena, you got no idea what you're getting in for. And soon she's going to realize, you know, that school is a lot more than just monkey bars and sparkly purple glue sticks. You know, but, but we're certainly an enjoying, enjoying and appreciating the enthusiasm while it lasts. And You should know that Jessica and I wrestled for a long time about what to do with Elena this fall for school. I mean, do we homeschool her? Do we send her to public or private school? Jessica was a fourth grade teacher for many years after all, and so that homeschooling thing was a very viable option to us. And, and then I'm a pastor, so you kind of think, pastor's kid, go to Christian school. But through much discussion and prayer, we actually agreed to send Elena to public school. And so, a week ago, Thursday, we, uh, we handed her over to the wolves. And here's how it went down. On that faithful Thursday morning, we were ready, like two hours early, because Elena couldn't sleep. She was so excited to go to school, and not only go to school, but to ride the bus. And so, when that t- time came, our whole family uh, walked down to the bus stop. Jessica and I, our three kids, just parading down the sidewalk there. And of course, being the yuppie, suburbanite, child-worshipping parents that we are, Jessica had her camera in hand taking pictures, I had our video camera capturing key moments, our daughter was giddy with excitement. We came to the bus stop, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited some more. And then finally we heard it, the drone of the bus and those squeaky hydraulic brakes and noises that, you know, every bus makes. And the bus came over the hill and into view, and Elena gave us another round of hugs and kisses for like the fourth time that morning. And then to our amazement, she just bounded up on that bus without a care in the world, and she waved off as she headed off to school for the first time, which was very exciting to her, but it was actually kind of disconcerting to us. Because as we walked home, it was clear that something fundamental in our life had just changed. Our little girl had just taken her first real step of independence and individuality, and she had, had rarely spent a day, a full day away from our family, and now here, here we were. She was going to be gone many days of the week for basically most of the entire day, under the watch of somebody else. And so a whole new season of her life and for us was beginning, and this was a bit discourte- dis- disconcerting to us. And for those of you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about, Right? Like when we all experience these moments when our children take big steps in their development, like they go to first grade, or they, their first day in middle school, or high school, or when they go out on their first date, or when they get married, or when they have a child themselves. And in those moments, we think to ourselves, wow, they have really grown up. And we also think, how, how in the world has ta- time flown by so very fast? And many times in these moments, our hearts are conflicted because there's a sense of a little bit of loss there, isn't there? Like my my innocent little girl isn't, she's growing up. She's not going to need me in the same way anymore. But there's also a real sense of pride because I see my child growing up and maturing and becoming, hopefully, the person that God intends her to be and Achieving some new exciting things in life, things that I've worked to prepare them for, dreams that I've had that they would hopefully achieve. And watching our children progress through life, it carries with it a real range of emotions. There is a a sense sometimes of a little bit of loss, but mostly, ideally, hopefully, there is a sense of satisfaction and pride. Because all good parents want their children to grow up, to mature. And just as parents want their children to grow up and to mature and to achieve, the Lord also wants His children, His people. To grow up and to mature as well. He wants them to achieve what He knows they're capable of. He wants them to grow up and get on the bus. He wants them to achieve major milestones in their Christian journey, and, and when this happens, God receives a real, satisfa- a real sense of satisfaction and pride in their growth. And the message today, the goal of the message here is to paint a picture of what it means to grow up in Christ, what it means to mature in our Christian walk. I'm not going to get real deep theologically here today, I'm just going to be very, very practical. Because sometimes we need to step back and take inventory of our lives, and we need to take moments to ask of ourselves, you know, am I growing and maturing in the ways that God wants me to to grow? Am I further along in my Christian journey than I was a year ago or a, a month ago? This is the end towards which we're all working, right? To grow and to mature in our faith, because as we do that, we achieve our most fundamental purpose, which is to bring glory and honor to God. And this is the status purpose of Bethel Church. Do you know Bethel Church has a, a clear statement, a clear purpose behind all of its discipleship ministries? We do. It's just one sentence, clear purpose. Here it is. The purpose of Bethel Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ whose lives are all about Him. The purpose is to make disciples of Jesus Christ whose lives are all about Him. That kind of drives everything we do around here. And let me show you where we get that. Turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, in particular. Colossians chapter 1 here, we see Paul really reflecting on his own ministry and describing his heart and his passion for it and and ultimately actually talking about uh, his purpose for ministry. And he says in verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so this passage is essentially Paul's purpose statement for Christian ministry. And in it, he presents the focus of ministry, the goal of ministry, and the power behind ministry. And the focus of ministry is clearly Christ, right? The focus of ministry is Christ. He says, he begins by saying, Him we proclaim. The hymn is Jesus. The context clearly shows here that Paul is talking about Christ. Church church ministry is fundamentally all about Him. It's proclaiming Jesus and the gospel to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. And it's about pursuing Jesus and growing in Him in everything that we do. And so, Christ is the central focus of ministry. And we also see here the goal of ministry, which is maturity. The goal of ministry is maturity. Paul is aiming to present everyone mature in Christ. Now, what does that word mature mean? The Greek word behind that is uh, teleos, which literally means whole or complete or perfect. It's essentially, essentially an, an end destination towards which something is, is moving. And here it refers to a person who has matured by growing substantially in their Christian walk. But what is the measure of that maturity? I mean, maturity is basically a relative concept, isn't it? We measure if something is mature by comparing it to something else. So, compared to a 12-year-old, I think I'm pretty mature. I hope. I think. But compared to a 65-year-old man who's lived a full, godly, rich life. Compared to a person like that, I realize I've got a lot of maturing yet to do. So, maturity is somewhat of a relative concept, but what is the measure of maturity pictured here? The text says that Paul is striving to present everyone what? Mature in Christ. So, here Paul's comparison uh, of of maturity is Christ Himself. So, being mature as a Christian means being incredibly Christ-like. It means being like Christ by having a complete, undivided devotion to the Lord. It means being like Christ by having a blameless life before God. It means being like Christ by having a a life that is above reproach before others. Christian maturity is essentially living out 1 John 2, 6, which says, whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. And so the bar of maturity, it is set really high, really, really high. It basically is set perfectly high. It's set to the likeness of Christ Himself. And we all know that in this life, we're never going to completely get there. We all all will know we'll never attain perfect Christ-likeness here on earth. But Paul's point is that that for full maturity, it is still the goal that he's striving for. It's worth striving for. Even though it's a goal that cannot be perfectly achieved in this life, Christian maturity is still something that must be pursued because there is degrees to which it can be seen in the lives of people now. It's a goal worth striving for. Notice the intensity with which Paul strives for this. He says, For this I toil, struggling, so while there is a sense that this goal is unachievable in this life, Paul's not deterred by that. He's committed to doing everything he can to achieve it. He toils, and he struggles, and he labors, and he sacrifices, and he sweats, and he acknowledges that this is difficult. He knows that it comes, that it's hard, it's hard work, but he still works incredibly hard to achieve it. And notice the source of power he depends on. The power behind his ministry is God at work in him, It is God himself is the power for ministry. Paul, Paul says that he struggles with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul knows the results of his ministry, they're not his own. It happens as Christ works through him and causes growth and maturity in people to happen. So it's ultimately the Lord's work. It's ultimately God's power that makes people mature. And, and, and so this is the essential purpose of Christian ministry, to help people mature in Christ. But how exactly does that Look. I mean, what are the characteristics of a mature disciple? This particular text, it actually really doesn't break that down to us, for us in any sort of detail. It's, and so, let's examine some other passages of Scripture that help us unpack this. And in doing so, we're going to see really four different characteristics of Christian maturity, four different categories in which Christians ought to be growing that's the structure of this message today, and, and these four different categories are aspects of growth that your leaders here at Bethel are very concerned about, and as we lead our church and lead our ministries here, we're trying to make sure that we're, we're doing everything we can to help people grow in these four different ways. We're very mindful of it, and therefore, I would suggest that these four different categories of, of, of growth are things you ought to be very mindful of as well, because who here is who here's done, done growing spiritually? Right? Anybody here finished with that? Anybody here totally, fully mature in Christ? Anybody got that down? See, I didn't think so. So let's dig in to some characteristics of Christian maturity we all ought to be pursuing. And and in considering the first category of Christian maturity, I'm going to summarize it with this one word, head. Head. Maturity Christians are growing in their head or their mind. And by this, I mean what a Christian knows. Their biblical understanding. This, com- this category of maturity and encompasses the degree to which believers understand Christian doctrine, have a knowledge of the Bible and its message. They're- they have a Christian worldview. Their ability to discern truth from error. So the head category is essentially uh, refers to how rightly and biblically a Christian thinks about God and themselves and the world and salvation, and church. It also involves about how they make sense of the circumstances of their life and the hardships that they face? Do they look at things through the lens of Scripture, make sense of it through the paradigms presented in this book, or are they look at it through some other lens, some other value system of the world? Clearly, this is one aspect of maturity, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians, Paul affirms that how we think is a sign of spiritual maturity. He says in chapter 13, verse 11, he says, "'When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child.'" I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So he's speaking about patterns of thinking. That immature Christians think in childish ways. But mature Christians, they've grown in their thinking. Now they make sense about life and reality in much more cogent biblical ways. I remember some perspectives that I had about things when I first became a believer. And, And they were childish. They were immature, like I remember... Soon after I became a believer, how ardently devoted I was to material wealth and vocational success, for example, at one point in my life, I just assumed I'd be driving a Corvette someday. I mean, that was just a given. I was going to achieve that. That's what life was about. It wasn't a question of if, just a question of when. That's what success would have been, and I was going to be successful. I'm going to get my Corvette. But as I grew in my Christian walk, the priority and the value that I placed in material things changed. And I eventually realized that it was foolish for me to evaluate the success of my life primarily by material acquisition. And if you ever saw the car that I was driving up to a few years ago, you'd realize I gave up that Corvette dream a long time ago. It was a total beater. I mean, like the last six months I was driving that car, I couldn't get the key out of the ignition. (laughs) Hopefully, I've grown. Or I recently came across some papers I wrote during my first year in seminary, and it was very interesting to me. To me, to see how I once advocated doctrines that I would vehemently deny today. I'd even identify some things that I wrote just 12 years ago as as heresy now. So I've moved from hopefully, in some ways, being a newborn child in some of my thinking to being a growing, more mature, hopefully more wise young man in Christ. And hopefully, you've experienced some of your growth, some growth like this in your own life as well. That as you mature, you get more wise. You continue to learn and grow in your understanding of God and who He is. And of course, the primary way that this happens is through this book. The Lord instructs us to be students of this book, because this is the window through which we grow in our head. So for example, consider this text, Joshua 1.8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So here's an instruction to dwell deeply on and constantly on God's Word. Are you doing that? How central is God's Word to your life or another? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, Colossians 3.16. Let God's Word dwell in you, which means let God's Word abide in you. It must be central to who you are, and then it should flow out of your life as you interact with other people and encourage them and teach them and instruct them by God's Word. And so here's a question for you. How much are you growing and maturing in your biblical understanding? Are you wiser than you were a year ago? Are you more familiar with the Bible than you were a year ago? When you read God's word, it's more clear to you now than it was a year ago. Can you better articulate the doctrines of the faith? Are you more able to discern false teaching from true teaching? Are you growing and maturing in your head? God has given us a mind to use and to grow and to develop, and he wants our heads to mature. And so let's not think that we've got this, this headpiece all figured out. I've got a master of divinity degree theological degree, but you know, I, I would be the first to admit, and my wife would be the first to admit, that I still have a lot of room to, to grow, a lot of things yet to learn in my biblical understanding. And, and so we need to stay humble about maturing in this way. The Lord does certainly want us to have wise heads, but not big ones. And so make it a priority to grow in your biblical understanding. So how do we do that? Well, here's just four practical ways that Christians can grow in their head. First, Grow in this way. Regularly, personally, and privately meditate on the Bible. Private devotional times. Is that a pattern of your life? Are you spending quality moments each and every day studying and meditating on God's Word here? Or second, read good Christian books and literature. Here's a question. How much time do you spend reading books instead of watching TV or some other kind of entertainment? Now, I'm as guilty as the next person in asking this question because I often find it difficult to Prioritize reading books because, you know, towards the end of the day especially, sometimes you just want to just veg out. But fill in your mind with the wisdom and perspective of Christian authors. That will greatly enrich your biblical understanding, and so we should all make time to do that. Or three, redeem idle moments to listen to good Christian teaching. You know, what are the preset dials on your your radio? What plays on your MP3 player when you're exercising? Is it spiritually uplifting content? Or is it this kind of worthless drivel? I must confess, I, I like listening to talk radio. But you know what? It's interesting, but it's a great waste of time. It really is. It doesn't do much to build me up. It doesn't mature me. I was riding once in the car with a fellow co-worker in ministry, and I think we had some kind of talk radio thing on. There was some interesting content that was being presented, but, and we were kind of listening to it. But then in a moment, he reached over and turned it off, I said, well, why would you do that? That was kind of interesting. We're listening to that. And he said, well, you know, it really just wasn't doing anything for me. Let's, let's talk about something meaningful instead. I thought, wow, that's a, great, that's a great example about how we need to be prioritizing our time to fill our minds with spiritually uplifting truth that it will grow us in our biblical understanding. So redeem idle moments to listen to good Christian teaching or content. And and four, engage in deep and meaningful discussions with other believers. How often do you just kind of sit around with other Christians, sit around the table and just talk about Christian theology? How often do you converse about the truths of God's Word and how to apply that to your life with other Christians? It's an incredibly enriching experience to do that. Real fellowship happens as we interact over God's truth together. And so is that practice a regular pattern in your life? It ought to be. Real fellowship, meaningful conversations with other believers over truth. How's that going? Is that a pattern in your life? How are all these four things going for you? It seems to me that every Christian ought to have each of these experiences in their life in some way. These are ways that we mature our head. So let's not think that we don't need these things. I mean, who here doesn't need each of those four things? Who here wouldn't profoundly benefit from growing in each of those four ways, from experiencing each of those four things? We all would, right? Let's not think that we've got this headpiece all figured out. Okay? It's the first major category of Christian maturity, and we all have room to grow in this area. The head. Here's the second. The heart. The heart. And by the heart, I mean who you are at the core. Your inner self and your fundamental person. Heart growth is essentially loving devotion and godly character. It's the passion and the love that you have for the person of God, the commitment you have to the lordship of Jesus Christ over all areas in your life. It's the excitement you have for God and, and what he's doing in our church and in our community. It's the degree to which you're just enamored with Christ and the gospel. It's the motives behind your actions. It's the thoughts that run through your mind. It's who you are on the inside and the ways in which your character and your motives are like Christ. The heart is your inner self. It's your core being. Or here's another way to think about the heart. The world just finished celebrating the 2012 Summer Olympic Games. And I don't know how much you watched the Olympics, Jessica and I watched them quite a lot, and there were uh, some great stories, some exciting moments, and scores of medals were given out, anthems were played, all to celebrate Olympic champions. But what makes a great champion? Obviously, you know, a good working knowledge, understanding of their sport, and meticulously honed physical ability developed over years and years of, of training. But at, at the center of all champions is a heart and a passion and a love for their sport. I mean, what drives Michael Phelps to, to swim umpteen laps every day? What motivates track and field athletes to constantly exhaust themselves through grueling Rigorous training exercises. What compels young gymnasts to just perpetually put their bodies in the way of great physical harm? It's amazing the commitment and zeal that these athletes show to constantly exhaust themselves through the the devotion they show to their sport. I read somewhere that the average Olympic champion spends about eight hours a day, seven days a week training. That's 56 hours a week working. Working toiling, training for years, that is immense investment of time and of energy. And why do they do it? Because deep inside each of them is a passion and a love for their particular sport. There's some deep-seated affection for their swimming or their running or their jumping or their diving, and, and the, there is a yearning and a drive to give themselves fully to growing and maturing and achieving and ultimately becoming the champion In their area of competition, their commitment and passion is immense, and they devote their entire lives to being the best, and they make incredible personal sacrifices to do so, and the gold and the silver and the bronze medals they wear around the necks is just evidence of the devotion of their hearts, because only athletes with incredible hearts for their sports grow to become Olympic champions, and only Christians who have incredible hearts for Christ grow to be truly mature in Him. And so now let's consider your heart for Christ. How strong and utterly devoted to Him is it? Is Jesus the central, all-consuming reality of your life? What place does He have in your heart? Do you have a deep, abiding joy in the person of Christ, or is He just a theological concept to you? The maturity of your heart is measured by the degree to which these passages are true in your life. Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Do you love God more than anything? The affections of your heart totally and fully devoted to God. Or how about this passage, Psalm 42, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. The imagery here is incredibly challenging. It's a picture of an animal, a deer, literally panting for water. And how much does your heart really pant for the Lord? How eager are you to worship Him? To come to church today? To read your Bible? To pray? Is being here right now something you just woke up and you were eager for? Couldn't wait to get here? Do the spiritual activities of the Christian life excite you? Does your heart yearn for them? If we're honest, I think that we would all affirm that we have a long way to grow in this area. Our hearts are rebellious and sinful and we constantly fail to have the passion and the love and the zeal and the commitment to Christ that we ought. And so how do we stoke within us righteous, godly affections and Christ-like character? How do we grow in these ways? How do we grow in our heart? Here's a few practical ways. First, Make the most out of church. Make the most out of church. I mean, start, attending, start by attending our worship services here every single week. I mean, this one seems like a no-brainer, but you know it's amazing to me? How many of our people just come to our services kind of like half the time? They're every other week kind of people. Listen, if you can't carve out a couple of hours of your life every single week to come together with God's people to worship and learn from His Word, you are definitely not mature. And so start growing. Resolve to make church attendance a real priority every week in your life. And then when you do get here, participate fully. This means attending the entire service. It also amazes me how many people, you know, kind of rush into our church late, arrive well after the services begin. Now, sometimes there's good reasons for that. We understand that, but more often than not, it seems that the reason is just that being here on time is not a real high priority. It's not that important. And Sometimes there's this perspective out there that, hey, as long as I get here for the sermon, then I'm good. Listen, you, you don't just need the sermon. You need the entire service. All of it will build you and enrich you. And then you you need to really, really participate in it. You know, here's something else that amazes me. I can walk all around this auditorium during the worship times. And see all sorts of people just kind of standing there like this. Kind of stoic or grumpy. Not saying a word. And, you know, I, I try not to be judgmental. Gives them the benefit of the doubt. They're probably worshiping Christ in their heart. But you know, there's something to be said about how just singing, how it engages the heart and is an important expression of joy that enriches our lives and grows our hearts and our affections towards Christ. I know there are a lot of reasons why people don't sing. They don't uh, like the music or they don't know the tune or they're tone deaf. Listen, don't worry about how you sound. If you can perfectly hit all, all the notes, every once in a while I'm standing here in worship some place and I'm right in front of somebody who is just totally tone deaf, right? Like there's this guy. And sometimes I'm standing in front of this guy and he is just so way off key, but he just belts it out at the top of his lungs, totally engaged in worship, not caring at all what he sounds like. Listen, God loves that guy. He loves that guy because he's not concerned at all about how he sounds. He's only engaged with worship, wrapped up in the truth that he's proclaiming, and God is enriching his heart through that. He's growing his affections for Christ through that. So participate fully in our worship services. You will be blessed by that experience. Make the most out of church. Here's another. Discipline yourself to dwell on the glories of God. Discipline yourself to dwell in the glories of God. How do you cultivate a greater passion for God? It's very simple. You just think more about Him. You dwell on who He is and the incredible expressions of love that He has shown to us in Christ. And so you make it a point throughout your day to think of God and who He is and all of His glories. And so you consider how mighty and how powerful He is, how truthful and how wise He is, how gracious and compassionate He is. How loving, how just he is, how patient, how merciful, how creative, how beautiful he is, and just dwell on how God is those things, and as you do that, you know what that does? It enlarges your heart for him. It builds within you a deeper passion and love for Christ. Why? Because you, you realize more and more how wonderful and awesome and glorious God is, and as you consider him more in all of his glories, you will be compelled to delight in him and to savor him in greater measure. So what do you spend your time thinking about? What runs through your mind throughout the day? If you're like me, so often your mind is filled with lowly, small things, trivial things. I did nothing to build my heart towards Christian maturity. But if you want to enlarge your heart towards Christ, discipline yourself to dwell on the glories of God. Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think he would also agree that where your thoughts are, there your heart will be also. So discipline yourself to dwell on who God is. And third, cultivate a vibrant practice of spiritual disciplines in your life. Cultivate a vibrant practice of spiritual disciplines. And by this I mean time spent in prayer or Bible reading and memorization, journaling and quiet meditation. These kind of activities, they are powerful resources that God has given us to help us cultivate a heart that is fully enraptured by Him. So, spend time, are those those things, those devotional times, those spiritual disciplines, are they a part of the pattern of your life? Perhaps you'll leave here today with a renewed commitment to practice those spiritual disciplines in your own life. Your heart will grow and it will mature in Christ if you do. That builds the heart. Now, for a third major category of Christian maturity, that's this our hands. Our hands. Now, if our head is what you know, and your heart is who you are, and then your hands are what you do. It's the righteous actions of one's life. It's the way that Christians demonstrate Christ-like, Christ-likeness, really, to the people around them. So, our hands are our righteous living. It's this type of growth that includes obedience to the commands of Scripture, a practical demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, the degree to which we are, uh, our lives are above reproach and expressing Christ-like character and actions to the people around us. Heart growth is, or, sorry, Hands growth is essentially living out Ephesians 4.22, which says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice the trade-off that this passage exhorts us to make. We are to put off our old self because part of maturing, is getting rid of selfish, unrighteous actions that are simply unfitting of a Christian. It is removing the sinful uh, actions from our lives and getting rid of the ungodly habits and patterns. But we're not finished at that point. We're also to put on positive traits. The text says that we are to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. And this means having Actions that are Christ-like and above reproach. It means living in such a way so that the fruit of the Spirit is markedly demonstrated in our lives. So consider Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So maturing in our obedience, it is a twofold endeavor. It's about shedding the negatives in doing what Galatians chapter 5 says, crucifying the flesh with His passions and desires. But it's also about putting on the positives and living out the Christ-like virtues and character, traits that He has in the day-to-day of life, bearing, and bearing witness to the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So maturity in our actions is identified by two ways. By what we don't do, and then by the things that we actually do. So that being mature in our actions is both a putting off and a putting on. But you know what I found? Often throughout my years in ministry, people often fail to think holistically about this. They evaluate maturity as just being, checking to see if somebody uh, doesn't do certain things. And so I'm pretty mature if I don't swear, or I don't engage in immorality, or I don't lose my temper, or I don't uh, dress in a certain way, or talk in a certain way, or go to certain places. Hands maturity is thought as, as just simply being a checklist primarily of don'ts, and thus someone's considered mature if they don't, as long as they don't step outside certain boundaries. As long as I remain within those boundaries, then I'm, I'm doing well. In fact, a class I took in seminary actually illustrates this point, I believe. It was a class on discipleship, and the first day of the class, the professor handed out the syllabus, as professors always do, and we worked through it. And he explained the various reading assignments and the papers that we were gonna to have to write, and it actually wasn't really that hard of a list. I thought it was actually pretty easy, pretty doable. And I thought, kind of thought to myself, well, this is gonna be an easy A, great. And then he said, you know, if you complete everything here in the syllabus, you will receive at best a C minus for this course. Which shocked us all and filled the room with a real sudden anxiety. How well, then do we get an A? We all want an A. And so he answered, well, an A in this class is really hard to achieve. You're going to have to do a lot more than just the minimum requirements here to get an A. You're going to have to come up with some extra reading on your own. You're going to maybe have to just, on your own, write, write a few extra papers. Or at least make the papers I've assigned, make them a little longer than the minimum requirement. I'm only, what I'm giving you here, it's only a starting point for what a good grade is in this class. If you really want to excel... You're going to have to go beyond just this simple checklist. You're going to have to look for new opportunities to grow yourself. You're going to have to go to a deeper level than just these, these simple things. And though I didn't realize it then, that was a perfect metaphor for Christian maturity. You know, a lot of people think that being an A-Christian is just meeting a certain set of criteria, particularly by checking off, off, things off a list, especially the things that we're not supposed to do. But, but really, that checklist is just the beginning of maturity. That's only a passing grade. You want to be mature in your actions? You need to grow and change in ways that are beyond just a simple checklist of do's and don'ts. And so maturity is not totally defined just by keeping your temper in check and not blowing up at your spouse or your coworker. It's defined by interacting with those people in such a way that is so very gracious and so encouraging and loving that those people can't help but be uplifted every time they interact with you. Maturity is not totally defined by just a lack of complaining or gossiping about the circumstances of life. It's defined by an overflow of expressions of joy and confidence that demonstrate incredible faith in God, even when things aren't happening the way that you want them to, and expressions that others look at you and say, wow, how can they be so very joyful when this circumstance in their life is so very hard? That's maturity. Maturity is not defined just by staying away from certain influences that could be harmful or exposing yourself to certain media that might be detrimental to your spiritual walk. It's defined by filling your life with media and influences that contribute to your spiritual growth and provide blessings to others, building others up. So it's not just about the putting off, it's about the putting on. Maturity is not just about keeping ourselves from certain things, it's about actively doing other things as well. So how do we, how do we grow in our hands in our righteous living. How do we do this? Here's three practical ways. First, be committed to intentional fellowship. Be committed to intentional fellowship. Have people in your life that can challenge you and support you, pray for you, cultivate relationships in your life that will be spiritually edifying. People with whom you can confess your failures, who can help you mature in the ways you need to grow. This is a big reason why I have small groups and so many other fellowship opportunities here. It's not just that we can have a place to go to build friendships. It's so we have a place to go to build friendships that will be spiritually intentional in our life. People will help us grow and mature in the ways we need to grow. So if you don't have some spiritually intentional relationships, get in a ministry that will provide some of those for you. One of our small group ministries or men's or women's ministry sign-ups are happening right now. There's a table out there in the commons on that side right there. Walk over there after the service and sign up to participate in something like that. Many of you actually already have just over the past couple weeks, and we've got you ready. Starting next week, we're going to be plugging people into all of our different fellowship ministries and small groups, so just hang tight. You're going to hear from somebody. But if you've not already taken that step to say, yes, I want to get involved in that, now is the time to do it. As Our ministries are all kicking off here in the fall. So if you're not have spiritual, intentional relationships. Get in a fellowship group that will provide that for you. And then if you're in one, be committed to it. That, that, that fellowship of people, that is a huge resource that God has given you that can help you grow, that can help you mature in these ways. So be committed to intentional fellowship. Second, set clear goals and find help in pursuing them. Set clear goals, find help in pursuing them. You know, it often amazes me how lackadaisical people are about their own spiritual growth. They don't think carefully about the ways they need to change. They just kind of stay in a rut, because they never think critically about what they can do to mature. And that's not how we approach most other areas in life, is it? I mean, we set goals and objectives for ourselves all the time, so we think carefully about how can I qualify for that promotion at work? How can I develop my children so that they're more respectful for adults? How can I, how can I keep my credentials current? How can I accomplish that goal for fixing up the home or that project I have. We set goals for ourselves all the time for so many, almost every area of life except growing as a Christian. And so do that. Think of areas in your life that need to change. Think of things that you can then do to be more Christ-like and make some concrete goals about those changes. Share them then with some good friends. Ask them to help you in that, to encourage you, to pray with you, to hold you accountable to doing those things. If you're intentional in this way, you'll realize that great growth, incredible growth can happen. And third, resolve to cultivate deeper affections, your heart and knowledge, head of Christ. See, the heart and the mind, they dramatically change our actions. They're incredible motivation for change. See, you you can change your actions just through sheer willpower alone. You can do that. You can force yourself to do something you really don't want to do, like come to church or read your Bible or whatever. And, you know, sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we just need to do something out of of duty. But that's only a passing grade. You need to change your heart and your affections for Christ because as you love Him more and as you treasure Him more, then that will necessarily change how you live. And then those things you do, they won't just be a duty, they'll be a delight to you. Because as you love God more, you'll find that now your personal goals for change will become much more easier to achieve because you'll have the heart of a Christian champion. And that will drive you to pursue growth and change with incredible fervor. So let's all resolve now to grow our hands, our righteous living in new and significant ways. We'll be blessed. God will be blessed. Others will be blessed if we do that. But now some of you are thinking, okay, that's three things. You said there are four they all began with H. They're all body parts. So, okay, what's the fourth thing? It must begin with H. It must be a body part. Hangnail? What's laugh. Well, you're right that there is a fourth thing. It does begin with H, but it's actually not a body part, and intentionally so. Here it is, harvest. Harvest. And by harvest, I mean faithful contribution to God's kingdom. Faithful contribution to God's kingdom. Maturity in this area, it involves engagement in Christian service and ministry, developing and using your spiritual gifts for kingdom purposes. It's the positive results that come from ministering to others. It's confident proclamation of the gospel with boldness. It's having a genuine impact in the lives of people, believers and unbelievers alike. Basically, it's just the spiritual fruitfulness in your life. It's the ways that you're impacting people for Christ's sake. And so, if head growth is what you know, and heart growth is kind of who you are, and hands growth is what you do, then harvest growth is what you produce, is what you contribute to God's kingdom. It's the ministry you do for others. While the other three H's, they're body parts because they reflect growth that personally is, is changes within us, this last H is not a body part because it refers to changes that happen in others through us. And Harvest Gross is pictured in many texts, but here's some examples. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see, we've all been given gifts and abilities to to serve the Lord, to build His church. And we're all called to use them for God's purposes. We're all called to work for Him, to serve Christ. Everyone, do you realize everyone is a minister in some capacity in this church? Ministers of the church, it's not just the staff, it's every one of you working together to build the church, build one another, build God's kingdom. You've all been tasked with that responsibility. You've all have been given resources and gifts to do that. And here in this text, we're all commanded to steward those gifts well. That involves serving one another, impacting and helping one another. Or another text Colossians 1:10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God I love this one verse because it contains here in one sentence all four areas of Christian maturity notice it says walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that's hands growth right there our righteous living it says fully pleasing to him what is God pleased with but with the heart he looks at the heart Sounds like heart growth right there. The last phrase, increasing in the knowledge of God. That's your head growth right there, your understanding. And the middle phrase, bearing fruit in every good work. That's harvest growth. Christians ought to be growing in their fruitfulness for God's kingdom. Jesus said this. He said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus' point is this. We all have a job to do. There's a great big field out there ready to be harvested, and we all need to be salt and light. We all need to have lives and words that communicate the gospel, and we need to make efforts to contribute to the growth of God's kingdom. And so my point here is that as we grow and as we mature, our ministry involvement and fruitfulness should increase, in part because we prioritize these things more and more. As we get a greater heart and love for Christ, we're going to want to serve Him more and more. And also because we just simply get better at the things we do. We get get more experience, and so we become more fruitful in serving Christ. You know, I I like to think, I hope, I'm a better pastor today than I was 10 years ago. It seems to me that in many ways, I hopefully become more efficient, more wise, more experienced in what I'm doing, and thus, it seems, often more fruitful. Or or I think that in many ways, I'm a better teacher now than I was just a couple years ago, doing this thing that I'm doing here right now. I look back at some messages that I gave a few years back, and I cringe a little bit Wow, that was bad. Now, sometimes God honored that and used it in some way, but by and large, I believe I've grown in this, and I I, I seem to be more fruitful, more effective in this area of ministry now. And we all need to be growing in our ministry ability and our ministry fruitfulness. So how are you doing in this? How's your harvest? You want to grow in that? Here's some practical tips. Three. First, start serving. Start serving. I mean, you can't have a harvest without working. You won't be fruitful without spending some time picking some fruit. Many of you are already serving in some way, and that's wonderful. Keep that up. We need that. But there's lots of you who aren't. There's just many of you who are content to be consumer Christians. And you come and you go, and you don't really engage in any kind of ministry that's building the church, that's building God's people, and the kingdom. So get involved. It's serving. I don't care if it's here within the ministries of Bethel or someplace else out in the community another organization or ministry, but, but just use your time, use your ability, steward those gifts well to contribute, to build the church, pursue having a harvest of fruitfulness for the Lord. That's a sign of spiritual maturity that you're bearing much fruit. So start serving. Here's another thing. Serve weekly. Serve weekly. Now, there are many people here they just kind of serve occasionally. They just kind of skate by on the bare minimum. They are at best getting a passing grade. And their harvest for the Lord is actually quite small. Why is that? Because they see contributing to ministry it's just a thing to check off the list. And so they do the barest minimum so that they can then go and pursue their own hobbies or interests or social events. Listen, if you want to be growing in your harvest, maybe many of you need to increase the time that you invest in doing Christian ministry. So if you really want to grow in your harvest, use your gifts to serve and serve more frequently, serve weekly, not just the once a month I'll do it because I have to, check it off the list, nursery duty kind of thing. But make an every week commitment to shoulder kingdom responsibilities, serve in a substantive weekly way and you'll see more and more and more fruitfulness come in your life. Because your increased investment, it will yield increased fruit. And also your increased time, it will equip you to be more fruitful. As you get better and better and more experienced in doing that thing, you'll just become more fruitful in doing it as you get better at your ministry calling. So serve more frequently, serve even weekly. And finally, go out of your comfort zone for the sake of Christ. Go out of your comfort zone. Now Christians often stop maturing in their harvest because they fail to take on new challenges and do new things. They're content to just serve or do the things that they've always done, so they stop challenging themselves to grow, and they fail to become a better servant or a more bold witness for Christ, and so they stagnate because everything just feels so comfortable and routine. And you want to grow in your harvest for the Lord? One way is to just increase the time you contribute to ministry. That'll produce more fruit. But the other is to increase the depth or the challenge of the things you're doing in ministry. So she's got a new role around here that will stretch you or challenge you. Get more bold and courageous in sharing the gospel with the people around you. Step out of your comfort zone. Go to somebody who's difficult. Don't go to a place that's scary. Do something that you're just not sure about, that you don't feel confident in. Do something that's uncomfortable for you. Do that, and God will grow you. And you'll see an increased fruitfulness in your life. As you get out of your comfort zone, this is the whole reason why we're doing this Bethel on a mission thing, to provide an easy access for you to just get out there to go to some place, to some people, to some need that you might naturally not do and maybe, just maybe, God will prick your heart for that kind of ministry and you'll be doing more and more of that and you'll get more and more fruitful and God's kingdom will grow. There is people getting out of their comfort zone for the sake of Christ. We need to be about that. We need about all these areas of growth head, heart, hands, and our harvest. These are the way we all ought to be growing. These are the categories of maturity. So, how's your own personal growth in these areas? I've shared a lot with you today. I told you I was going to be very practical, and I just gave you lots and lots of practical things to do to grow in these four different categories. There's a lot I know, but let me just conclude by boiling it down to this we need to grow. We need to mature in these categories, all of us. None of us have arrived at any of these areas. We are all in process, which does mean, first, don't beat yourself up if you haven't arrived yet. Listen, we've all failed in these areas. God's gracious to us in that. His concern isn't so much if you've failed or if presently you've kind of stalled out in your Christian growth in the past. His concern is from this point forward, are you going to be moving in the right direction? Compared to where you were three months ago, are you in a better, more mature place in these areas? Well, I hope so. But you know what? If it's not true, commit to making it true. Commit to striving and toiling and struggling to grow in these areas in a measurable way over the next three months. That is a holy and difficult calling. and It requires work. But it's work work that's worth it. It's worth that God calls us to do. And as you do that, know Know that Christ is sufficient for you. Jesus is before us as an example. He's shown us what maturity is, and actually through His life and through the gospel given us a motivation to do this, because we love Him, and we love what He's done for us. And there is a lot that we have to do. We are called to work out our salvation, to grow and mature and to toil and struggle towards maturity, as Paul says, but ultimately ungirding it all is a delight and a confidence that you know what, our salvation is already done. This isn't about earning God's favor. It's just about becoming the person that God wants us to be. Becoming the man or woman for whom Christ died to make us. Christ is sufficient for you in this. Look to him and draw you towards this place of growth. And you realize too, you have the spirit if you're a believer within you the Holy Spirit to change you and mold you and transform you and mature you and grow you. He can and He will produce this growth in you. You just need to be a willing and committed partner to it. And finally, remember you have a church here to help you grow in this. We have one another. We have all of this to help us all make our lives all about Him, which is our calling, which is our purpose. It's why we have so many ministries here that you can connect with and plug into and Find people and things to do that will help you grow in these ways. And we talk here about how we have these three E's, exalt, experience, engage. Those are basically three categories of involvement in the church. Exalt being kind of our corporate worship services. Experience being our horizontal relationships, our, our small groups and our, our, our fellowship opportunities. And engage, opportunities to serve and use your gifts for ministry. Do each of those three things. Do each of those three things on a weekly basis and you will grow. You will grow in these areas. Make it a priority to exalt and worship, experience fellowship, and engage in ministry. That will happen to you. We are here as the church to provide for this because this is our purpose. This is our calling to make our lives all about Him, to be that Christian champion that has a heart and a life that pleases God so very much and glorifies Him to the utmost. There's a glorious day coming when that will be complete but for now we work and we strive for it. For Christ's sake. Amen? Let's pray.